Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Borders podcast, the podcast that explores topics related to international trade. This podcast is brought to you by Buckland. For over 70 years, Buckland has been working to help companies across the world experience global trade in a better way. As a customer-focused company, we provide you with a single source of unmatched customs brokerage, trade-managed solutions, freight forwarding, trade technologies, and warehousing and distribution services. I'm your host, Jenny Kaus, Corporate Marketing Manager here at Buckland, and today it is my pleasure to welcome Jody Potter and share the audio from our most recent live webinar on free trade agreements. Jody is the supervisor for compliance trade programs and holds her bachelor's in economics and international business. She's a licensed customs broker and holds her certified customs specialist designation. Jody has a great deal of experience in trade programs and has been with Buckland since 2015. The following audio was captured during our live webinar that took place on June the 12th. If you're interested in checking out the full webinar with slides, please visit buckland.com webinars. So without any further ado, I'll turn this over to Jody to talk to us today about free trade agreements. Thank you, Jenny. I'm happy to be here today. Free trade agreements have been in the headlines a lot the last few years with NAFTA negotiations and the advent of some new agreements and is on the top of our minds for those in the trade community. There are many trade agreements around the world, but due to time, we will mostly be focusing on North America in this conversation. However, we'll be talking about free trade agreements in general as well. So let's start with some basic information on what a free trade agreement or FTA is. An FTA is a treaty between two or more countries that facilitates trade by reducing barriers between the partnering countries. This is typically, this is most typically done through the elimination or reduction of tariffs and quotas. Uh, FTAs also define how the partnering countries will handle other areas of trade such as intellectual property rights, dispute settlements, government procurement, exchange rates, investments, and more. Now, keep in mind that the purpose is to reduce barriers, not completely eliminate them. Uh, Free trade agreements are not completely free. Countries do maintain some measures of control in order to protect, protect domestic industries and economies. This is why negotiations can be so intensive especially when there are more than two countries involved. So let's start with just a little bit of history about free trade agreements. Uh, International trade can be traced back to the 19th century BC with the domestication of camels, allowing for long distance movement of goods. As goods began to move further and further, trade routes began to develop and trade began to escalate. Over thousands of years, and improved methods of transportation, there were many different approaches to controlling trade, including licenses, tariffs, quotas, and other protectionist measures. In the post-World War II economy, free trade really began to become very important with the desire to avoid economic depressions and further wars. The General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, or GATT, was in effect from 1948 until 1995. It was originally agreed to by 23 countries, so that it expanded over time. 
with a purpose to normalize trade among nations that had been devastated by the Great Depression and World War II. In 1995, the now 123 nations of the GATT established the World Trade Organization, or WTO. The WTO succeeded the GATT, but it is actually an institutional body with a physical headquarters and staff. The GATT is a legal agreement with a set of rules and is still in effect under the WTO framework. From, from the GATT, we have a fairly rapid expansion of free trade agreements. And of course, one I'm sure we all have a bit of a love-hate relationship with, one of the most well-known and largest multilateral free trade agreements is NAFTA, which came into force in 1994, renegotiated over the last few years, and is pending ratification by uh, all three countries. So there are approximately 420 trade agreements across the world, though not all of these are free trade agreements. The United States has agreements with 20 different countries. Uh, Canada, with the advent of CETA and CPTPP, has agreements with 33 countries. This scope will grow further once all EU countries have ratified CETA. Mexico has agreements with more countries than anyone else in the world, with a total of 46 countries, including US, Canada, EU, and Japan. Uh, we mentioned the World Trade Organization, which is an intergovernmental organization that is concerned with the regulation of international trade between nations. The functions of the WTO include administrating WTO trade agreements, forum for trade negotiations, handling trade disputes, monitoring national trade policies, technical assistance, and training for developing countries. Cooperation, it also includes cooperation with other international organizations. So there are three types of free trade agreements. They are unilateral, bilateral, and multilateral. When one country imposes tariffs on another, this results in an unreciprocated trade policy by one nation, and this is referred to as unilateral. An example of this would be the U.S. Generalized System of Preferences, otherwise known as GSP. This is the practice by which a country, such as the U.S., gives preferential tariffs on imports from developing nations, which gives the developing nation the opportunity to grow its economy and improve conditions, as well as lower the cost of their products in the U.S., thereby increasing demand. This also helps the developing nation become a more affluent market for U.S. exports. An example of this would be the United States and Bangladesh, or the U.S. and Cambodia. So bilateral trade agreements are, as I'm sure you can guess, between two countries. And this makes them easier to negotiate because they, they are only two sides to an agreement. There are many examples of these, one of which is the Australia-United States Agreement, also known as AUSTA. Multilateral, as the name implies, is between three or more countries and take more time to negotiate since there are so many more parties that need to reach an agreement. An example of a multilateral agreement would be NAFTA.
free trade agreements, while often structured similarly, are not always created equal. And what you find is often contradictions in the benefits and drawbacks, depending on the countries involved. For that reason, I'm going to center the general pros and cons around NAFTA specifically. The largest goal of free trade agreements is to increase economic growth by opening or expanding access to new markets. As an example, the U.S. Trade Representative Office estimates that NAFTA increased U.S. economic growth by 0.5% for every year that NAFTA was in effect. This is an increase from $142 billion to $564 billion. Uh, economic growth for Mexico has been between 1.2 and 2.5% since the passage of NAFTA. Access to new markets allows for expanded business opportunities, which in theory creates more job opportunities. It's estimated that 3 million new jobs were created in the U.S. over the life of NAFTA. In Canada, it is reported that 4.7 million jobs were created since 1994. Another benefit is that the lowering or elimination of tariffs and quotas creates more competition, which creates a benefit to consumers as it provides more options and lower prices. Lowered barriers, protected intellectual property rights, and dispute settlement policies all contribute to the boost in foreign direct investment by providing new opportunities and lowering the investment risk. I do want to point out, though, that NAFTA specifically addressed intellectual property rights in the agreement. But many developing countries don't have laws that protect intellectual property. So trade agreements with those countries can often result in theft. One of the biggest complaints regarding free trade agreements is job outsourcing. With increased competition from countries able to produce goods at lower cost, means in order to compete, Companies need to reduce higher-paying jobs and outsource to countries with lower labor costs. This is often done in emerging market countries without uh, strong labor protections, which can result in often very poor working conditions. Uh, domestic industries can be damaged because they are exposed to competition from foreign countries with lower costs. For instance, Critics of NAFTA often point to damage to U.S. manufacturing industries due to the low labor costs in Mexico, undercutting U.S. production. Free trade can also cause environmental damage. The lowered tariffs and quotas on imports means that companies can move their manufacturing to countries with little or no environmental protection. This allows companies unchecked access to natural resources and the lack of regulation allows for reduced costs in maintaining environmental standards, as well as reduced costs in cleanup and disposal of manufacturing waste. Now, we'll go through some examples of common free trade agreements uh, in the North American context. When people think about free trade, it is, mostly, uh, it is most commonly NAFTA that comes to mind. However, there are many more free trade agreements. NAFTA came into effect in 1994. However, tariffs and quotas were not eliminated until 2008. 
NAFTA has been in the news a lot in the last few years as the three countries have been in the middle of negotiations on the agreement. The U.S. is calling the revised agreement USMCA, Canada is using CUSMA, and Mexico is calling it TMAC, uh, Tratado entre Mexico, Estados Unidos y Canada, which is the Treaty of Mexico, United States, and Canada. An agreement is finally was finally met and signed by all countries. It is now pending ratification, but has an uphill battle in order to get passed, which we will discuss uh, a little further in the slide. OFTA, which is an agreement between the United States and Australia, came into effect in 2005, provided for stated reduction of tariffs not to be in full effect until 2022. Chorus between the United States and Korea came into effect in March 2012 and eliminates 95% of tariffs for each nation within the first five years. CETA is an agreement between Canada and the EU and its member states. It has been provisionally applied and has resulted in 98% of tariffs between Canada and the EU being eliminated. Negotiations on CETA were concluded in August of 2014, and it came into provisional application in September 2017. This means that most of the agreement now applies, but it will need to be formally approved by all member states before it is fully in effect. CPTPP, the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, is a trade agreement between Australia, Brunei, Canada, Chile, Japan, Malaysia, Mexico, New Zealand, Peru, Singapore, and Vietnam. The United States was originally part of the negotiations for this agreement, but later withdrew. The agreement came into force for the initial six ratifying countries on December 30th, 2018. The CPTPP is the third largest free trade area in the world by GDP after NAFTA and the European single market. Free trade agreements all come with expansive regulations that define the details of how the agreement is administered and enforced. One of the things addressed is how a good is determined to be eligible for a free trade agreement. I cannot emphasize this enough. A good is not eligible for FTA simply because it was manufactured in one of the partner countries. This is a common misconception and can really cause a lot of trouble for your company. This is true across all free trade agreements. In order to determine if a good qualifies, you must first look to the rules of origin. The rules are based on the HTS classification of your finished good and they define what methods you'll be allowed to use to determine eligibility. These rules vary across commodities and classifications. A lot of agreements in Canada and the United States were similar, similarly modeled off of NAFTA. So rules of origin are often structured the same, but they are not the same across the different FTAs. Keep in mind that free trade agreements don't completely open the doors. Rules of origin are deeply negotiated between the involved countries because it can greatly affect domestic industries within those regions. 
certain products may be far more difficult to qualify versus other products, and qualification can actually be a fairly complicated process. So before we start on this slide, I just want to give a little disclaimer and say, again, qualification can be complicated. I will walk through some of the basics behind the rules of origin, but please keep in mind that reading the rules and understanding the rules are often not as straightforward as you would think. Um, I'll apologize to any lawyers we may have in our midst, but for one, these were written by panels of lawyers from multiple countries. And without understanding or practice, they can be very difficult to navigate. And two, as we all know, there are often exceptions to rules, and free trade agreements are certainly no different in that regard. Tariff shift, de minimis, and regional value content are three of the possible options used in the different rules of origin. A rule can incorporate one or all of these possibilities, but you can only use what the rule of origin allows. Simply put, Tariff shift is a change in tariff classification. This is looking at whether or not non-originating materials have undergone a substantial enough transformation in order to qualify the finished goods. A specific rule of origin defines what is allowed to shift. This means that although there may be a change in tariff classification, the rule may not consider some changes to be substantial enough. In tariff shift, if even a low value of materials doesn't shift, it would prevent an eligible determination. This is where the de minimis provision enters the picture. De minimis allows for a small percentage of the transaction value of non-originating materials to be non-shifting and still qualify. The percentage is different under different FTAs and can also be different under different commodities within the same agreement. Under NAFTA, most commodities fall under 7% de minimis, so this would change uh, to 10% if USMCA was adopted. Regional value content, also known as RBC percentage, is a requirement under some rules of origin where the finished good must have a certain percentage of originating material from the countries under the agreement. For example, for NAFTA, you might need to have 60% of originating content from North America. There are set methods and formulas used to determine the total percentage, and these are provided for under each free trade agreement. Keep in mind that these formulas can be different across the different agreements. So I wanted to add this slide because we often run into some common misconceptions about what constitutes originating versus non-originating material. For ease of the discussion, I'm going to use NAFTA as the example, but please remember that when discussing FTAs, it's always going to pertain to the participating countries in the FTA. Let's start off with the easier one and talk about non-originating. If a material is sourced from outside the NAFTA territory, meaning anywhere except Canada, U.S., or Mexico, it is not going to be originating. That, that's pretty simple, right? But let's say that you have a material that was manufactured and determined to be originating in Mexico, then was sold to a distributor in Germany. Later on down the line, 
It was then sold to a manufacturer in Canada. What happens then? Even with a certificate of origin from the Mexico manufacturer, this is still going to be considered non-originating because it left the commerce of the NAFTA territory. So no matter what, if your supplier is located in a non-NAFTA country, you can consider that material to be non-originating. Moving on to originating, this doesn't work the same way as non-originating. You can assume origination or eligibility based on, you, you cannot assume origination or eligibility based on the location of your supplier. Just because materials were manufactured in the NAFTA territory doesn't mean it's originating. Just like you have to use the rule of origin to determine eligibility of your finished good, so does your supplier with their own products and so on down the line. In order to consider a material originating, you really must have a certificate of origin from your supplier that certifies that it is eligible. So let's talk a little bit about certificates of origin. The certificate of origin is used to certify the parts that parts qualify for a free trade agreement. NAFTA is the only agreement that has a specific certificate of origin form that needs to be filled out. Most agreements do not have a set format, but do have similar data elements to NAFTA. For this reason, you often see programming done that is similar to the NAFTA format for other agreements. Uh, field one is where the exporter will fill in their company name, address, country, and tax ID. These certificates are used for duty preference when exporting, but they are also used as supplier backups for qualification purposes. This means that if you are not actually exporting the parts but are the supplier and your, your customer is asking for this certificate, you will still fill in the exporter field. It can be used as a supplier field as well. Directly below that is the producer field. This can be listed as same if it is the same as the above. It can, it can list the producer's information, or if you don't want to share that information with your customer, it can list available to customs upon request. The importer, which is field four, is generally requested to be various, but you can also fill in the name and address of the importer for your customer. The last field in the top section is blanket period. This should always be for the full year, unless the goods listed fluctuate in eligibility depending on sourcing throughout the year. All goods need to be recertified on a yearly basis. The middle section will list part numbers and descriptions. Part numbers, while not required, are still very important to include. Uh, certs can be descriptive in nature, but this is very hard to track and is not easily programmable, as descriptions often vary across different software. For this reason, most companies will require a part number to be included on the certificate. You then have a spot for uh, each part's six-digit HTS. Only six digits is required on a, a certificate of origin. Next column is the preference criteria, which is a statement on the origin of the goods and has specific indicators that must be used. Um, and the 
the indicators are like A, B, C, D. The producer column is to show your company is the producer or not. If you are not the producer, there are three levels, no three, no two, and no one. Each number represents the support that you have on, on hand to back up your NAFTA claim. No three means that you are not the producer, but you have a certificate from the producer stating that it is eligible. No two means you don't have a cert, but you do have a letter from the producer. No one means that you don't have a cert or a letter from the producer, you just have knowledge, uh, but no backup. No one does present some level of risk, and a lot of companies will, will not accept it. Net cost shows by what means you qualify the part. Under NAFTA, the only options are no or NC. No implies that it's been qualified using the tariff shift method and C by using the RBC method. And then the last column you have is your country of origin. You should use uh, ISO codes to fill that column in. Okay, speaking of NAFTA or USMCA, let's talk about where we presently stand in regards to this trade agreement between Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. All three partner countries will need to ratify the agreement before it comes into effect, with delay potential due to uh, Canadian federal election and a shift in U.S. congressional power, putting ratification at the earliest to fall in the later half of 2019. Implementation starts at the beginning of the third month after all parties ratify the agreement, which means that USMCA will most likely not come into effect until sometime in 2020. In the meantime, the original NAFTA agreement remains in place. The main issues that the Democratic Congress has had with the negotiated agreement are actually very similar to the same party issues when NAFTA was first implemented with a focus on the environment, labor enforcement concerns, and pharmaceuticals. Mexico recently passed new labor laws and Section 232 tariffs, which are the steel and aluminum tariffs imposed on Canada and Mexico, have been lifted. These were some major hurdles in gaining all parties' movement towards ratification in the United States. Then another monkey wrench uh, was thrown in recently to complicate matters. President Trump issued statements that a 5% tariff on all Mexican imports to include 5% monthly additional increase would be levied until Mexico made significant changes to their enforcement of migrants crossing Mexico to the United States border from Central America. However, at the last minute, this was put on hold as they had reached an agreement with Mexico on increased enforcement. Within the United States, the Democrats have created some working groups and are sitting with White House officials in what appears to be a positive move to working through any issues the Democratic Party has with the agreement. Canada is aligning itself with the pace of the American legislation, but may lose time itself as it enters into a new election cycle. Canada has made it known that they are not interested in reopening negotiations. 
But if if the changes were positive impact on the com- on the country, it might agree. Mexico has been thought to be the easiest hurdle in the ratification process. However, with the latest tariff issues, this could cause some trouble there as well. Lastly, I wanted to touch a bit on trade deals that are in negotiation. These could potentially take years, but it's always good to know, you know, what could be coming as we look ahead to the future. Starting off, let's talk a little bit about Brexit. Brexit is the impending separation of the UK from the European Union. When this happens, the UK will need to have new trade agreements in place to replace any EU agreements that it loses. With that, the UK has said that it is prioritizing its negotiations with Canada on new free trade agreements. On the US side, the US has had the first round of negotiations with Japan on a US-Japan agreement. Trump has signaled his intent to begin negotiations with the EU, as well as with the UK when it has officially exited from the European Union. We will certainly be monitoring all trade agreements and we'll keep our customers informed of the latest news as it happens. That's the Beyond Borders podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our guest, Jody Potter, for a great overview of free trade agreements. If you are interested in checking out the full webinar with slides, please visit buckland.com slash webinars. And if you're looking for more resources related to international trade, please check out buckland.com and click on the learning section across the top of the website. Here you will find a range of resources, including learning guides, webinars, and podcasts. Our downloadable learning guides include incoterms charts, common trade terminology, how to avoid border delays, and so many more. We host live monthly webinars, and we invite you to sign up online to secure your spot for an informative presentation followed by a live Q&A session. The best way to keep up to date on all of these resources is through our weekly newsletter. We send out a newsletter every single Wednesday containing our latest digital content, as well as a roundup of the latest trade news headlines delivered straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us through our website's contact us page, through Twitter, where our handle is at Buckland Tweets, or on our LinkedIn company page. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Borders podcast and be sure to tune in again and subscribe for more great conversations about importing, exporting, and everything else in the world of logistics and international trade.